So open your Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as we're going to continue in our series entitled The Blessed Burden. And again, what we've been talking about here in recent weeks has been basically trying to, to move our church family towards evangelism, towards being the people that God has called us to be and sharing the gospel regularly with people around us, how to be burdened for lost people to come to faith in Christ. You know, so we have the blessed burden wall out here on the left with all those little brown tags where you can write the first names of some individuals down on that you are praying for gospel opportunities, that you're praying for people to be saved. If you have not done that yet, I encourage you to stop by. We've got some more out there. Man, ask God. Say, God, put some people in my path. But before we jump into God's Word today, I do want us to just repeat the... We have our personal evangelism strategy uh, that we believe that if, if we all commit to that it'll help all of us begin to be regular soul winners and sharers of the gospel. So I want you to repeat these with me this morning. Say pray. pray. Say see. see. Say share. share. And say invite. invite. This is our personal evangelism strategy. First, that we are people who pray. We get up in the mornings and we pray, oh God, I pray you'd put somebody in my path that doesn't know Jesus. I pray you'd give me the boldness to share and I pray that we get to see people come to faith in Christ. Then you see, say God, help me to see the people around me, not just as my neighbors, my co-workers, or my classmates. Help me to see their spiritual condition and see them as people that you put in my path for your name and glory that ultimately I can talk with them about Jesus. Then share Pray, say, oh God, give me the boldness to share first what Jesus has done in me. Our personal evangelism strategy is that we have to share Jesus with others. We've got to open our mouths. And so God, help me, give me the boldness to share. And then lastly, invite. As we're having conversations with people, that we have those moments where we say, would you like to come to know Jesus? Invite them to come to know Jesus. And then if conversations don't get that far, then you can always invite somebody to church. And church family, we want that to be something that we're all doing regularly, that we are consistently inviting people to church. I have seen over and over and over again, God still uses the invite. God uses those moments. Maybe you were invited this morning. What we believe today is that your invitation to come to Enon was not uh, physical only, that it was spiritual, that God used an individual to draw you here, that you could hear his word and have an interaction with him today. So church family, we are excited about this strategy. But this morning, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which has been our guide on this journey. Two weeks ago, we talked about from 2 Corinthians 5, 18, how all of us who are followers of Jesus, how we have been called to go and share the gospel with other people. 5.18 says this, For God who reconciled himself through us, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. Basically, we talked about how if you are a follower of Jesus, that all of us have then been called to go and tell other people about Jesus. The message of Jesus came to you on its way to someone else. Is that there's no just few people that go and tell other people about Jesus. Every Christian is intended to be a proclaimer of Jesus. Last week, we talked about the great urgency that we have in telling other people about Jesus. We looked at 2 Corinthians 5, 10, and 11 that talks about how one day we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, including Christians, to give an account of what we've done. And one of the greatest things that we can do for Jesus is to tell other people about Him and how that should move us 
to tell other people about him. But then also in verse 11 where it says, Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, or the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. The reality is, is that everybody in this world will spend eternity somewhere. A thousand years from now, everybody you know will eternity be somewhere. They'll either be in heaven with the saints of God in glory, or they will be forever under the wrath of God in hell. And the only difference in how the two is established is whether or not they have received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And they can't receive Jesus unless somebody has shared Jesus with them. And so this morning, I want you to look at me. We're going to look at two verses of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 5, beginning at verse 20 and 21. And I want to invite you to stand with me today in reverence to the reading of God's Word. It says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Lord Jesus, I pray, Father, would you hide me behind the cross, God? Lord, I pray that you would speak your word today. Truly, God, I pray, would you speak today in Jesus' name. Change us and change us forever, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, church family, I'm going to confess to you that this morning I had all intentions initially uh, to preach a different message to you today. In fact, I, I worked on it uh, on Monday some, and then I came in and today was supposed to be some practical ways of how to share the gospel, how to get in gospel conversations, how to put yourself in situations around lost people. What does it look like? What message? What do you need to tell people when you're going to tell people about Jesus? Some very practical things. And I have all intentions now of doing that next Sunday. But as I came in here on Tuesday morning, one of the things that we do with our staff is that we challenge our staff is that part of their work day, every day, all of our ministers, is that they are to set aside an hour to spend with Jesus. Not for their own personal walk with God. They do that before they come to work. But an hour to spend with the Lord just simply praying and interceding on the, this church and on, our, on the direction that they spend as far as in ministry. And as I was in here Tuesday morning and I was praying the Lord about this Sunday, asking God, saying, God, give us, I pray that you would create that culture of evangelism uh, around us. God, give us a sense of urgency to go and tell other people about Jesus. And I started to pray about this Sunday's message. And I really sensed from the Holy Spirit that he said, Zach, stop. Stop. I can't, you can't preach that message this Sunday. You can't preach the practical tools for people to go out and use to go share the gospel with people. And the reality was, is I felt like the Holy Spirit said, because we're not ready for that. Because right now, that would fall on deaf ears. Essentially, what the Lord spoke in my heart was, is that if we were to come in today and give a bunch of practical tools for people to go out how to share the gospel, is it would not be useful today. Because for many of us in this room, if not the majority of us, we haven't fully committed yet to that's how we're going to live. We haven't fully committed yet that we're going to change the way that we live. 
That we're going to see the people around us. We're going to see our neighbors and our co-workers. That we're going to pray and share and we're going to see and invite. That we're going to live that way. That we're going to live with Jesus on our mouths. And we're going to live differently. That we're not there yet. And as I started to wrestle with the Lord about that and pray, I sensed the, the Lord speak to me. You know, it's not that we don't know that that's what we're supposed to do. I believe the reality is, is that every one of us here at Indian Baptist Church is that we know that as Christians that we're supposed to go tell people about Jesus. Can I get some holy head nods this morning? We know that's what we're supposed to do here today. Most of us in this room, you could quote the Great Commission from Matthew chapter 28. Most of us in this room, we know what Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, that we're to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. We know foundationally that this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. We know those things. And the reality is, is that we know those things. Last year, for most of us, we knew those things two years ago, but we're not living that way. And before we can just give practical helps in how to do that, that's not where we need to begin. We need something to change within us. We need a moment of commitment. We need a moment to answer God's call. And so the Lord changed my message this morning, and the title of our text today is Answering God's Call to Go. And friends, my prayer for our message this morning is that God would do something real in our souls today. That God would change us this morning in a way that we cannot help but say, Oh Lord, I will go. I will tell people about Jesus and I'll actually live it out. But I'm praying that today that God takes the timid and makes us treacherous for the gospel. That God takes the distracted and makes us devoted to proclaiming Jesus to others. That God takes those who are unengaged in telling people about Jesus and makes us unashamed to proclaim the gospel to others. And so this morning, I want to give you two truths that I believe can help us to know how to answer that call. And at the end of our message today, I'm going to give you a very practical way that you can actually answer God's call today. And I believe we need that this morning. So first, if you're keeping notes, our first truth today is concerning answering God's call to go. We need to understand the specifics of our call. And the specifics of our call come from verse 20. And it starts off here where Paul uses a word that is only used in one other place in the New Testament, the book of Ephesians. And Paul was the one who used it there. And it is the word ambassador. Look there in verse 20. Paul says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now what we need to remember here today is that he's obviously using that term ambassador to help illustrate to us how we are supposed to be a people who share the gospel with others. And this is the reason why. Remember the therefore question. Anytime you see a therefore, ask yourself, what's the therefore therefore? Well, if you go just before this moment, we see that that Paul is talking about how we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. He's talking about how God has called us to go and, and bring the, the, the word of reconciliation, tell people how to come to know Jesus. And then right after that, he says, we beg you, therefore, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So just before this and just after this, he's talking about being a soul winner, telling people about Jesus. And so as he talks about ambassador, he's talking about it from an essence of what that looks like to help us be a people who tell other people about Jesus. The word ambassador in the Greek actually means older or experienced, somebody who is wise. Now he's not saying that somebody, that to tell people about Jesus you've got to be old or so experienced. But what he's saying is, is you have to have been made wise in Jesus. 
Meaning that now you have come to know Jesus and now you can go tell other people about him. And that's the only requirement, by the way. The only requirement by God to go and tell other people about Jesus is not that you know the Bible forwards to backwards and it's not that you've been to seminary or Bible college. It's not that you're a preacher. It's that you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. If you know that, then you know everything that you need to go and tell people about Jesus. Jesus. That's the first requirement. So Paul also, though, uses this picture as something that we would understand, the idea of an ambassador. You know, in Paul's day, an ambassador is very similar to what we see today in modern-day diplomats or statesmen, uh, people who live in a foreign nation but who represent a king or a kingdom or president from another nation. And so the idea was is that somebody is representing a king, they're representing somebody in authority. And again, that's very similar to us being those who are going to tell people about Jesus. We are representatives of Jesus to those who do not know him. Now, there's a lot of ways that our call as Christians parallels the responsibilities of those who serve in the office of ambassador or to kings or kingdoms. An ambassador to a king or a kingdom does not appoint himself but is appointed by the person who is sending him. And he gives him a specific task or mission. The same is true for us as Christians. We don't appoint ourselves into the gospel ministry. We are chosen by Christ to be his followers. We are saved. And then once God has called us unto himself, then he is the one who sends us out. We saw this just a few weeks ago in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. See, it starts off there is that you see the idea that God is the one who has appointed us. God is the one who has called us. If you know Jesus, he has chosen you. And then he is the one who sends you out. If you're a Christian today, the question is not, have you been called to share Jesus? But rather, have you answered that call? Also, an ambassador is often assigned to live and serve in a land that is not their home. The same should be true for us as Christians. As Christians, we should live and work in this world as though it is not our preference because we're not living in the kingdom to where we are intended for. The same thing is true. Again, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Peter reminds Christians that we are to live as aliens and strangers. This is where sentiments that we've heard in the church over the years, things like we're to be in the world, but not of the world, come from. It's because we are to, yes, live and operate in this world, but as ambassadors, as missionaries for the glory of God, but we are looking to our home forever in heaven And by the way, that's important in our evangelism. Because a lost and broken world today is not looking for something that loves this world because they know that this world is broken. A lost world is looking for something that's real, is looking for real hope. And as Christians, we've got it. It's not always going to be this way. And this is not our home. Also, an ambassador is to stay in constant communication with him who commissioned him. So that he can represent him well. 
You see, an ambassador, uh, if he's in a foreign country, if something happens in that nation or that country and the president or the king hears about something that's going on in that nation, he needs to know what's going on, well, what does he do? He picks up the phone and he calls his ambassador. He calls his man on the ground. The same is true for us today as followers of Jesus. We're to be those who are in regular communication, regular connection with God so that ultimately we can serve Him well. Also, an ambassador is supposed to be somebody who lives differently than the world around them. They they may go to a nation whose laws or whose customs or culture are different than where they come from. But they should stand apart. They should stand differently. And the same is true for us as Christians. The way that we live our lives should represent Christ. We should look different than the world around us. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, once speaking about this, he said, To us is given the privilege and responsibility of being representatives of the Son of God in this world. We stand for Him. People judge Him by what they see in us, and they are perfectly entitled to do so because we are the ones through whom and in whom He is glorified. Church, we should see in our lives that the world is watching us. If we're to be soul winners, if we're to be those people who have answered God's call, you're saying, Lord, my life matters for the glory of God. That's why being in regular connection and communication with Him matters. You know, what I have seen in my own life and I've seen in the lives of those around me is that the closer I am to Jesus, the more that I care about the souls of those who are around me. The closer I'm walking with Jesus, the more concentrated I am on my mission. The same would be true for any ambassador serving a king or president. The closer that he is in connection with Him, he knows how he's supposed to live in this world. And then lastly, one of the last things an ambassador must do is to be readily available to the one who appointed him. If there are any tasks that needs to happen in that nation, the ambassador is going to call this person. They are ready and they are available. Church, in every movement of God in Scripture, every time we see God working and moving in any place in Scripture, we see that He is working through His vessels to the people that He had in those situations, to His ambassadors. I love in Acts chapter 9, right after uh, Saul, who was a murderer of Christians, comes, uh, he sees Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he's, he's blinded, and he goes to a house there. And the Bible says that Jesus appears to a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. It's the only time that we see this man in Scripture. And Jesus says to Ananias, go to the street called Straight and go pray for a man named Saul, for he is my chosen instrument among the Gentiles. And Ananias is like, Lord, hey, I've heard about this guy he's not friendly but ultimately the Lord says go and he gets up and he goes and he prays for him he lays hands on him and that Paul's eyes are open and God ended up using him in an incredible way now God ended up making Saul who would end up being Paul the greatest missionary the world has ever known but that launching pad moment happened when God found a man named Ananias in the city he had an ambassador who was sitting on ready ready to go Church family, when God is drawing your neighbor to himself, will we be ready to be used by God? 
When God is working in the hearts of those students who are in your classroom, will you be ready to be his servants? When God has a church that needs to be pastored or planted in a community, will you be ready to go do it? Will you be there in your workplace and among those in your family? Will you be the ambassador? Because here's a promise. God is working in the lives of people, drawing him to himself. We see that in Scripture. God is always working to draw people to himself. Are we a people who are ready to go be his ambassadors? To be able to answer that call today, I want to give you two truths you need to know before you can answer the call to be an ambassador for Jesus. First, those who answer God's call to go must see it as a great privilege. To to answer God's call to go be an ambassador, you have to see it as a great privilege in your life. And imagine the the privilege it is to go and represent the United States of America in a foreign nation. To be tapped on the shoulder by a president. To be able to say, you are going to represent our nation to a foreign people. It would be a great honor, a great privilege. Likely the greatest honor or privilege of anyone's life. And as Paul is talking about being an ambassador for Jesus, we already know that he sees that as one of the greatest honors of his life. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul talked about the great honor he'd been given to tell other people about Jesus. He said, to me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Paul called it a grace. He called it a great honor that God had chosen him, the least of the saints, to go and tell other people about Jesus. Church family is serving Jesus the greatest honor of your life. Is serving Jesus the greatest privilege of your life. I thought about that this last week. Sat down for a moment and I thought about all the ways that I was honored to be able to serve Jesus. Now, this was a call God gave me before he called me to preach or called me to pastor, by the way. When God saved me and told me, Zach, I want to use you to tell other people about me, this was first the first call that he's given me. He's given all of us as Christians. And I sat down and thought about all the ways that this is a privilege and an honor to me. The first thing I thought about was the fact that, that I get to serve the God that I once offended wrecks me. Think about this. The God the Bible says that we were once enemies of. But through Jesus, not only does he see us, no longer see us as enemies, he draws us to himself, he cleanses us, he he washes us, he forgives us, he clothes us with a robe of righteousness, he loves us, and then after he's called us his child, then he whispers into our ear, now I want to use you as my vessels. Think about that this morning, church. The fact that those of us who were once separated from God can be used for His glory. Also, when I think about the fact that I get to serve God and that I can do something that pleases my Savior, excites me. There's nothing that you'll find greater purpose in your life than to ultimately serve Jesus. And one of the primary and initial ways we do that is to tell other people about Jesus. You know, one of the most important things to any son or any daughter is to hear their father say, I'm so proud of you. By the way, dads, you need to say that regularly to your daughters and to your children. There's something that it does in their soul to look at them and say, I am proud of you. And as a child of God, I know that telling other people about Jesus, whether they come to know Christ or whether they spit in my face, I can walk away from that and know that I have pleased my Savior. And there's nothing on this earth that is more exciting than to know that you're serving God. 
Just this last week when we did our Go Tell Tuesday, which we'll do that again the first Tuesday night uh, coming up in September, where once a month we're going to try to rally our whole church family to go out and just bless our community. We were giving away some of those $100 gas cards to people who had signed up for them. And, and, and to be able to be on a doorstep for somebody and to bless them with something that they needed in that moment and then get to tell them about Jesus and pray for them. The people that were in my group, when we got back in the truck and we were on our way home, we stopped by racetrack and Gardendale got some ice cream because who doesn't like ice cream, you know? We got eaten our ice cream and started talking about, you know, there's just nothing better in this world. There's nothing that I feel more fulfilled in than when I'm serving Jesus. And church, that can be true for all of us who answer that call. The fact that I get to serve God and know that he will be with me to help me emboldens me. One of the ways, one of the main reasons that people don't see serving God as a privilege is not because they don't want to, because they're scared to death to do it on their own. The reality is that's the the, the greatest promise of the Great Commission is that, lo, I will be with you even until the end of the age. That God's not going to leave you in it. That God will strengthen you in those moments. In 2 Timothy 4, 17, when Paul was in a moment in preaching the gospel and all of his friends deserted him, this is what he said. I love this in verse 17. He said, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. If you're willing to say, Jesus, I will serve you. I will make it the greatest privilege and honor of my life. There will never be an endeavor you do for his name where he will not be with you. And then the fact that serving my God can lead to him changing other people's lives for eternity amazes me. Think about that, church. You go out to your neighbor or to your classmates or to your coworkers, and you begin to be somebody who consistently and regularly shares the gospel. There can be people one day in heaven that would not have been there because of you. Romans chapter 10 says this, how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they're sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel of peace. Several years ago, when Kimberly and I were living in Arkansas, I had an opportunity to come back to this area and, and preach and preach at a church in the Hayden area. And there was a guy that came up to me afterwards, and, uh, and he and I graduated high school together. I had not seen him in years, and, and, and uh, he was at this church, and I didn't, I didn't even know that he was a Christian, and we got to spend some time together talking, and, and, and I started to leave, and he said, Zach, i got to tell you one thing. And then he hugged me again. He said, Zach, I just want to let you know that you shared the gospel with me in high school, and that's why I gave my life to Jesus. And I had no idea what he was talking about. Guys, this is before I was a pastor, before I was a preacher. I was just a young kid that loved Jesus. And he and I were in the choir together. And he told me a story how we sat on a bus seat together on the way home from a choir trip. And apparently I told him about Jesus. And he went home that evening and gave his life to Christ. I had no idea. Guys, think about that. God can use you for eternal purposes. You know, of all the things that we will do in our lives... That won't matter. What are one of the things that you can do with your life that will matter for all eternity? And that's telling people about Jesus. And then lastly, the fact that one day, even though everything that I have done for Jesus, I only did because he had the grace to save me and he strengthened me and he was with me. The Bible says that he will reward me for that and that he will glorify me because of that. That I'll get to be glorified with him. Romans chapter 8, verse 17 says, If children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. He's talking about those who were followers of Jesus. It says, If indeed we suffer with Him. Talking about serving Him. Talking about sharing the gospel, being persecuted, taking, doing the hard things for the kingdom. This is what it says. If we suffer with Him, so we may also 
be glorified with them. That idea of glorified is to be lifted high, to be honored. And we're going to be honored by Jesus for doing something that honestly we couldn't have done without him anyway. I remember hearing Jerry Vines talk about this one time. He was invited to go to a state dinner at the White House when he was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. I said that in the first service, and I said a state dinner, and people thought I said steak dinner. Hey, who wouldn't like going to steak dinner at the White House? You know, If I go to the White House, I hope that's it as a steak dinner anyway. But he was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. This was during the Reagan administration. And they were preparing to enter into the grand hallway there. And they opened up the doors. They started playing Hell to the Chief. And then the announcer made the announcement. Ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States, Ronald Reagan. And they started going. Everybody was standing and clapping and clapping. And then right after him, they then announced also, ladies and gentlemen, Jerry Vines, president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And he was walking in too, and people were still clapping and cheering. And he said he was aware of two things in that moment. First thing he was aware is that nobody was really standing and clapping for him. Is that they were still standing and clapping because the president had just come through. But secondly, he said that he was aware that he was just getting to share in the glory of the president. That the president had gone in and he was just getting to come in on his coattails. And church family, that's what will happen in glory for all of us who tried to serve him well. Yes, it is all about the glory of Jesus and all about his honor and his fame. But as Jesus is being glorified, those of us who have served him in his strength, we get the privilege of coming in on his coattails and being glorified with him. Think about that, church. Church family, I I get the privilege today of so many different things. I am so privileged to be my wife's husband. I am so privileged to be my children's father. I'm so children to be my son, be my mother and my father's son. I'm privileged uh, to be my my brother's brother. I'm I'm privileged to be uh, so many different things. But church family, the greatest privilege in my life is that I get to serve Jesus. And that would be true this morning if I was not a pastor. I've told people this before. I don't know what God's will is forever for me. I don't know if it's always to pastor a church. I pray and believe it is. But I'll say this. Whether I'm a vocational pastor or not, I am always going to tell people about Jesus. It is the greatest privilege and honor of my life. And it is the greatest privilege and honor for all of those who are his ambassadors. So to answer his call, it needs to be a privilege. Secondly, to answer his call, you must see it as a call to proclamation. It is a call to go and tell people about Jesus. Notice there the second part of verse 20. It says, therefore we are his ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You know, a lot of times when we talk about sharing the gospel, people can get, it, can get it way confused and make it a whole lot of things that it's not. But let me give you very simply three things that, that it means to share the gospel. What it means to commit to be an ambassador for Jesus that's going to proclaim the gospel. First, you've got to commit to speak. He says, therefore, he speaks about as though God were making an appeal through us. That you are willing to appeal to others. That God speaks through you. That's all you're committing to do. If you say, I'm going to be an ambassador for Jesus, I'm committing to speak. And I'm going to speak regularly and often the name of Jesus. And church family, he is worthy of us regularly and often proclaiming who he is. 
to walk into our classrooms and our workplaces and our families and our neighborhoods and to say, yes, Jesus is real and he's the real in me. And then secondly, you've got to commit to weep. Notice there he says, we beg you, be reconciled on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to Christ. Notice he's talking about begging someone, but he says he begs you on behalf of Christ. He's basically saying, I I am going to love you and call for you in the same way that Jesus would. It's one thing to say that I love my neighbors. It's one thing to say that I'm praying for people to come to faith in Jesus. It's another thing to say I'm praying for them like Jesus is praying for them. I'm willing to weep and be burdened that people may come to know Jesus. Some of you in this room, I'm going to ask the question, have you ever truly wept for people to come to faith in Jesus? This is why we're doing the prayer wall out there. This is why we're asking you to write some names down and put them on that blessed burden wall that your heart would be burdened for lost people. Church family, we're not going to get very far in evangelism if our souls are not burdened, if we're not weeping for people to come to faith in Jesus. We see this in the life of Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 31. He's speaking to a church that he ministered to. He says, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each of you. He says, I'm, calling, I'm admonishing you. I'm calling you to Jesus with tears. Some of you might say, Pastor Zach, I've got too much in my world going on. I cannot spare any emotional bandwidth. And sometimes we feel that way. I'm worried about everything. I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about, I don't have room to care that much about anybody else. Let me tell you what you do. You commit your life to the glory of Jesus. And as Acts chapter 119 says, he will enlarge your heart. God will give you more room in your heart to care about lost people than you've ever known. You know what ends up happening? Anytime God enlarges your heart, gives you more spiritual, emotional bandwidth, you'll just end up loving your family and everybody around you better anyway. And then lastly, you've got to be willing to call. You've got to be willing to call them to come to know Jesus. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He's just saying that you're that person that regularly looks to those around you and you're, invi- you're telling them about Jesus, you're passionate in your prayers for them, and you're saying, why not today? Why not today come to know Jesus? And I want you to know in this room this morning, That if you're here today and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you were to die tonight and you're not certain that you would spend eternity in heaven because you've never really received him, hear me this morning on behalf of Jesus. Come to know Jesus today. You can live your whole life without him. And ultimately what you'll do is you'll stand at the end of your life and realize that you sought after everything in this life to fulfill you, to find satisfaction in your heart and life, and it will all end up turning to ash. But Jesus is real life. Jesus is water for your soul. Jesus is real. And he loved you enough. He died on the cross for you so that you could receive him this morning. Maybe some of you need to come to see him. But this is is what it means to call people to come. In 2014, at a conference called Together for the Gospel, John Piper preached uh, to a bunch of pastors from this text. He talked about what it means for people to Beg others to come to faith in Jesus, to that, have that kind of heart for him. He told the story about his father. His father was an evangelist for almost 60 years. And he never pastored a church, but he would travel around to churches and he would just do these crusades and they would, people would invite people and he would tell them about Jesus. People would come to faith in Christ. He said he was a mini Billy Graham. 
in the sense of he, uh, where Billy Graham had his 50,000, is that Mr. Piper had his 500, but he would go and preach the gospel to people. And while he was there, while he was preaching the gospel to people at these conferences, is that he would get to the end of the service, and he would come down to the front of, the, uh, of the, the, the altar there, and they would be playing the hymn softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See over the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. And then he would, it would say, come home, come home. And he would stand there with tears in his eyes and he would say to these crowded rooms, he would be a visible example of Jesus and he would say, oh friends today, be reconciled to Jesus. Would anyone like to come home? Would anyone like to come and give their life to Jesus? Would anybody like to come and come to know Jesus? And he was being Jesus in that moment. He was begging on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And at the end of that message, John Piper called a bunch of pastors. He said, man, will you go home to your churches and to your communities and be that pastor who will call people to come and call people to come to know Jesus? And this morning, I want to ask you, men and women of God, will you be those people who will stand in front of your offices, who will stand in front of your homes, who will stand in front of your neighborhoods, who will stand in front of your classrooms and the places that God gives you. And will you be the example of Jesus that says, come home, come to Jesus with brokenness and tears. He loves you. Come to him. Church, this is how a community has changed. This is how we see our neighbors and co-workers and friends change with tears and brokenness and sincerity. We stand and say, come to Jesus. This is what it means to be an ambassador for Christ. It's the greatest privilege of your life and that you're a consistent proclaimer of the gospel. Secondly, and very briefly this morning as we prepare to close, to answer God's call to go, we just need to understand the source of our call. Notice here in verse 21, Paul says, he he proclaims the gospel message. He said, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin." On our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Let me say something to you this morning, church. If you would just memorize that verse of Scripture and you spent the rest of your life sharing that verse of Scripture with the world, it would not be a wasted life. This is the gospel in miniature here that Jesus, who is innocent, made Him who knew no sin. He took our guilt and He gave us His innocence so that we could come unto God. But I want you to notice one thing very quickly. I'm going to ask Brother Ron to begin to come. I want you to notice one thing very quickly. I want you to notice how Paul sees himself in the gospel that he's preaching. He uses some personal pronouns therein. He's not talking about proclaiming a gospel that he doesn't know here. He says He made Him who knew no sin to be sin. Listen to this. On our behalf. So that we, our and we, he uses these personal terms because as Paul is preaching the gospel to other people, he's not telling people about a Savior. He's telling people about his Savior. He's telling people about his Jesus. See, Paul understood that sharing the gospel with other people, being an ambassador for Jesus, was not that he was a hireling. He was doing it to please the Savior who had saved him. You know, one of the greatest ways that you're going to consistently be somebody who will share the gospel with those around you is when you're doing it to please the Savior who saved you. Some of you know that I bought a house about six months ago and bought it from some church members here, uh, Randy and Sandy Reese, and uh, great, some of the best people in the world. 
And they still live on the property right behind us. And they have been such helpers to us, man. They have let us use their lawnmower like every week. And they come over and help us uh, fix things. I mean, they have just been great. And I'm always, man, what can I do to help? What can I do? No, man, y'all are good. We just want to be good neighbors. And last week, I got a text message on Monday afternoon. It was a busy day. We had baseball practice and all kind of stuff going on. But I got a text from Randy. said, hey, man, what do you got going on this evening? I need some help. Before I even called him back, I called Kimberly and I said, Babe, we've we got to adjust our schedule. I need you to step in here because Randy has asked for help. And she's like, Okay, we got it because we knew, hey, hey we, we got to do something to tell these folks thank you. And he had a section of his pasture, he has cows that needed to be bob wired, and it had to happen that night. It had to be done. I've never put up bob wire fence before, but I can work. You, you tell me and I'll go. So I was the guy who stretched Bob wire, and I nailed it, and he would stretch it. I would run with it, and I nailed it, and he would stretch it. And we kept working through the evening. It started getting dark, and we were not done yet. And I said, hey, Randy, let's, man, we're there. Let's keep going. So Miss Sandy went and got us some headlamps. We're out there until about 1030 at night, and we're stretching this fence, and we're finally put up this Bob wire fence. And when we're done, there's that good feeling that we finished it. And Randy looks at me and says, Zach, man, thank you so much for helping me. What can I do to say thank you to him? And immediately in that moment, it was so good for me to say, Randy, it was you don't have to thank me one bit at all. You've done so much for me. It is my joy to show up and help. Church family, you want to know one of the greatest reasons why we should go and tell other people about Jesus? Because one day you're going to stand before your king who did everything for you, who bled, hung, and bled, and died on a cross for you, who rose from the grave, who right now in our heartaches and moments, a minute ago, we got to pray for ministry moments. Man, how many times have us in this room who know Jesus, had Jesus just step right into our world in the middle of heartache and minister to us all the goodness that Jesus has given us. And one of the only calls that he gives us on this earth is to love him and love our neighbors and go tell people about Jesus. How dare we look back at our Savior and say, God, I'm just too busy. I got too much going on. Not me. So church, this is where I want us to end this morning. I felt this in my soul. Again, before we can practically train one another how to to do this, we, we need to receive it. We need to say, Jesus, I'm in. I am all in. Went to the IMB, uh, went to the uh, Southern Baptist Convention a few months ago. Favorite parts of the Southern Baptist Convention every year is the International Mission Board Commissioning Service. They get all these uh, missionaries that are about to go all over the world to go tell people about Jesus. Most of them, they can't share their full names. Share the name of the country they're going to because of security risk. And now, because of technology, because they're going to places where it's illegal to share the gospel, they can't even show their face anymore because of facial recognition software. And so they have to stand behind a curtain with a light behind them that just shows the silhouette of them. So these are families and individuals that are being, they're going to, to different nations to go and tell people about Jesus giving their lives. And one of the most encouraging and humbling things in the world is to see when these, the light would come on and you'd see the silhouette of a young couple and they would say my name is Jeff and, and, and Sally and we're going to sub-Saharan Africa to go tell people about Jesus and you know that they're stepping right into the middle of Muslim controlled countries where it's completely dangerous and outlawed to share the gospel but they're going but the parts that will really get you are the moments where they go to the they show the silhouette and you see the silhouette of a husband and a wife and you see them little small silhouettes next to them 
them babies that are going, those children that are going with them, and they're saying, we are these names, and we are going to Southeast Asia. We're going to this place to go and share the gospel with people. And in those moments, after the commissioning moment is done, then they everybody stands up and celebrates, and it is a worship that just brings the house down. Because in that moment, it's like us all saying back to Jesus, Jesus, you are worth it, O oh Lord. This is what the Lord spoke in my heart this last week. We are no less called. And we need a commissioning moment this morning. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do. We talked about answering the call. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're committing to say, I will begin to pray, I'll begin to see, I'll begin to share, and I'll begin to invite. I will begin to share the gospel I'm not going to be good at it. I'll figure it out at first. You know, you're not committing to any of those things, but you're just committing to say, yes, I will do it. Then what I want you to do here in just a few moments, I'm going to give you a moment to pray. When you're ready, you don't have to scream it or make some big show. I want you to stand up with your feet, or maybe a husband and wife, whole family stands up, and one of you say, we are this family, or you just say, "My, I am Joe, or I am Kimberly, I am Zach. Say, say your name, and then say, I will go. That's it. Have a moment where you say your name and say, I will go. You say, man, that's public. That's a little too weird. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Some of you need to go to the doctor this week, and you'll be sitting in a waiting room with a bunch of people. And somebody's going to step in, and they're going to say, Mr. Reno, Mr. Reno, they're going to look around, and I'm going to say, no, that's, that's me. And the reason why, because I'm at the doctor's office. I'm, I, I don't, I'm ready to feel better. I'm ready to see the doctor. I have, no, I have no problem naming my name publicly when I have a sense of urgency that i got to get better. And we should have no reason whatsoever to not stand publicly and say our name. And for the glory of Jesus, because of the urgency within us, say, I will go. We need it this morning for our souls today. Some of you need it today. So what I'm going to invite you to do, I'm going to invite you to bow right there where you are. And again, listen, you can't go for a Savior you don't know. Maybe you don't know Jesus today. Right here in this moment, this is your moment to call out and say, Jesus, save me. I give my life to you. I give my life to you. Save me, oh God. Right there, you can do that. Right there where you are. If you ask Jesus to come into your heart and life right there, he'll save you. I'd love to meet with you after this service today. Tell you all about that. But when you're ready, I'm going to pray. Just stand up, say your name, and say, I will go. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. God, would you speak and genuinely call people today. God, may we have a moment before others, but most importantly, God, a moment before you where we respond. In Jesus' name, amen.